Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, huh?
I am the CEO of a little organization that we like to call the Human Solution International. We're a civil rights organization, and we're dedicated to the notion that prohibition doesn't make any sense, um, that no one should ever go to jail for a plant for any reason whatsoever. And although we're a civil rights organization and we do support um, in advocate for, we believe that all of our inalienable rights are important. This is one of the things that is so far-reaching. It touches so many people in so many ways. We have people locked up in prison. We have families torn apart. We have people that have lost jobs and abilities to uh, move forward in life for so many reasons, all because of prohibition. And I know that we live in a world right now where people think, oh, it's legal here and it's legal there and we pass this law here and we pass this law there, that everything's okay. But the truth is, um, even in, and in some cases especially in places where legislation has been passed, it's oftentimes a Trojan horse. Oftentimes people believe that because something is allowed, that anything is allowed, that, um, you know, you just can't get in trouble anymore. And if you live in California or Colorado or Washington or Oregon or any of the places where legislation has been passed that allows for recreational and medical use of cannabis, you'll find that there's still not a shortage of cases. There's still not a shortage of raids. In California, raids are raging right now. They're not making the news, but cities and counties are systematically blasting through, as they kind of do every year at this time. Why? Harvest time. Oh, yeah. It's a time where gardens are getting attacked and raided. Um, dispensaries and collectives are getting attacked and raided. And a lot of times they don't even charge you. Sometimes they just rob you. If anybody has ever been through or everybody that has been through this process, um, having stormtroopers come into your property, um, berating you, threatening you with weapons, oftentimes destroying your property, um, sometimes hurting or killing your animals, or worse. Um, these are just all in a day's work for some of these folks. Then you go to court and um, you get offered a plea deal. Sometimes you get locked up for a while. Sometimes you get locked up for a good long while. You got to make bail, then you got to live by the terms of bail. It's, so, it's such a complicated thing. Prohibition doesn't work. It's never worked. It didn't work for alcohol. It doesn't work for cannabis or for that matter, any other drug. People are going to do what they want to do, and people will take chances. People will risk going to jail. People will risk losing their families, their property, their their jobs. They'll risk all these things. Because this plant is kind of an important one. It does a lot of people a lot of good. It saves some people's lives. More and more, it's saving more and more people's lives as people are understanding it. It's not just a plant. It's an amazing plant. But on the other hand, it is just a plant. The other day, I uh, made a post. I'm uh, becoming, once again, somewhat active on social media because I've divided my social media world into two and my activist side has got a public figure page now. And that public figure page, I posted 
the other day, maybe it was a couple of days ago, a little scenario. And the scenario was something about, you know, what if cayenne pepper had become uh, an amazing healing plant and it became a marketable plant. It became something that people wanted and they wanted to make products out of it and they wanted to do lots of things with it. So much so that the government caught on and they decided, you know what, we should control this. We should call it um, a scheduled substance. We should we should allow it, but make there be licensing and regulations and tax it like alcohol and tobacco and regulate it. The question was put very simple. If this was the case, and then I put a point of reference. In my case, I live in a rural, rural property. I live in a place where the land use allows me to grow plants on my property without any permit whatsoever. I have a state license to be a nursery where I can sell these plants, but it's a nominal fee. Um, cost me a couple hundred bucks a year. They come in and inspect, make sure I don't have pests that would contaminate other people's gardens, and that's it. I can sell any plant I grow, any single one, except cannabis, but not because the state says so, because the county wants to regulate it. They say, well, you can't have this and you can't have that. And the federal government, of course, could you know, lock me up for all that. My question was, if they allowed there to be a license or demanded there to be a license for the cayenne pepper plant and the cayenne pepper plant was worth the same amount as cannabis was per pound you could grow a pound of cayenne pepper and sell it for the same price that you can today for cannabis would you think it's wise or a good idea would you support the notion of regulating this plant and treating it like alcohol and you know it was funny. A day went by and not a single answer came. Not one. Two, three, four hundred people had seen it. It went across a number of different pages. Not one response. Not one. I had to wonder about that. All these tax and regulate people, all these folks that are so gung-ho about about compliance and and conforming and we'll teach you how, we'll consult you, all this nonsense. Not one person said, well, this is why I would do it. It makes sense. One person finally today kicked in, and he was a constitutionalist, and him and I probably agree a lot about a lot of things. But I didn't do that post for accolades. I didn't do that post for attaboys. I didn't do that pose for, post for people to say I agree with you. I was looking for the counterpoint. I was looking for the argument. Didn't get one. Just saying. All right, we have some amazing guests today, and I'm going to kind of blast through it real quick. This was a heavy week for a lot of people. In Texas, we had a hurricane that uh, destroyed a lot of people's homes and a lot of um, property and killed a lot of animals and, and some people and, and has um, permanently changed the landscape. Uh, Florida just got ravaged by the same hurricane and Georgia's gotten beat up, um, North Carolina got hit. Um, a lot of people have had their lives upended. Uh, we just uh, went past the anniversary of 9-11, and regardless of what you believe was the cause of 9-11, the truth is America was 
damaged and a lot of people lost their lives. And today people are still losing their lives as an aftermath. Some kind of horrible stuff. Um, Prohibition does the same kind of thing. So today uh, we have a very special guest that's going to come on right away, and then we have another very special guest who served a lot of time in federal prison. Her name's Irma Allred, and uh, she's a friend of the Human Solution, and uh, I'm looking forward, actually, to our conversation and, and working closer with her. But first, we've got a guest who only has a few minutes to talk, but she is just a little dynamo. Um, she stands, I don't know, probably about five foot tall if you stretch her hard. And uh, her name is Vincent, and I don't even know where we met. I think we met at the Orange County Normal Meeting way back when, when my trial was going on. But I can remember, I can remember being out there in court support for my case and other people's cases. And and uh, Vincent has such a passion. Uh, I, I felt a kindred spirit when we first met. And she is such a freedom fighter, and she believes that, um, you know, this is just so ridiculous. And she lives in a place that years ago actually allowed there to be some kind of a collective, and she's kind of a in a groundbreaking place. Um, but, of course, there's been complications with all that. But just this weekend we uh, went to Oceanside Beach and had a little get-together uh, for the organization, and and Vincent joined us, and um, a remarkable thing happened. So we're going to go ahead and begin, and let's bring up Vincent. Vincent, how are you Hello. doing today? Hello, Joe. Hello, my friend. So glad you were able to make it. I know you don't have a lot of time, so um, I just wanted to, you know, let the world know you're kind of one of my secret weapons, and I don't mean to be possessive, but... I've always considered you to be, you know, just uh, in my in my close inner circle, and and I just want you to share real briefly, you know, kind of how you came to to join this battle, and then I want to talk about a little thing that happened at the beach, and I just think that it was such a powerful moment. I just want to share it with everybody. <laughs> well, the first time I remember meeting you was in Long Beach in front of a courthouse, and uh, that, <laughs> that was here. really my. Uh, that was it was at the very beginning of um of me learning about cannabis and prohibition and the trials and what we're up against and actually everything has changed me so much my view of the government and how it works and and how it doesn't work but um mostly i came i knew i i always thought cannabis since I was, um, I think the first time I ever tried it, I was 18. It kind of scared me and freaked me out a little bit. And um, and then I tried it again a year later, and I learned that it was nothing to be afraid of, and um, it was it was something that made people relax and peaceful and more loving and more thoughtful. And um, so I always wanted to be a part of normal. So when I joined normal, they told me that there was needed some help in Long Beach. I went to Long Beach, and I was very new to everything. And boy, did I get lessons from you. <laughs> and I learned that they didn't really care 
how sick people were. We had five wheelchairs sometimes in the courtroom trying to show the judge and the jury and the prosecuting attorneys what we were up against. And people don't realize that a lot of the people in our cannabis community are sick. And um, we don't all look sick, and um, but underneath it all, there's a lot of sickness. And uh, I learned in the courtroom that a lot of people didn't care, which um, and a lot of people in the cannabis community, they have their recommendations. They can smoke, and they they don't feel like getting up to fighting for people, but. Personally, as long as they're in prison, I want them out. That is where my passion comes from. It's it's everybody's safe enough. It's not it, we don't have really good access, but we're working on it here in California. It's around the corner. But we still need the people who are in prison sometimes for life. There's a man from Texas, two joints for life, probably his third strike. They have that third strike, and oh, my gosh. I mean, they're suffering for a a plant that God gave us to use and to heal ourselves with. And uh, it's worth a fight to get these people out of prison. Well, you know, you touched on a bunch of things, and I think that – one of the things that you brought up was that a lot of people in the cannabis community really are not big on being out there to help people. I remember when I was going through my case, I, you know, my collective, hell, we had over 4,000 patients that we had helped, and it was hard as hell to get people to come out there. And I one of those say that every single person that did come out there made a difference and you know we talk all the time about the power of one and we talk about um, you know what a difference it makes when one person does stand up you know you think about the old um, uh, story of Rosa Parks and and how one person made a difference so much of a difference that it echoed out across the land and there's been a lot of cases kind of like that throughout history where one person took a stand and made a difference. And the other day when we were at the beach, I watched you do something like that, and it wasn't in a public place in a public way, but it was most impressive. And uh, we were down at the beach, and, you know, you have a disabled uh, placard, and you have a hard time walking around. And um, they they had this um, concert that was going on, so they had barricaded off a huge amount of the beach, including the area that normally we would have parked in. And they were making people walk, you know, sometimes a mile or more to get to these parking places. And when I saw that you were there, I come up and I was going to help you move some of your items out of your car. And then I saw, I listened to what was happening. And why don't you kind of explain it? Because they didn't want you to park. They were going to make you go up this big hill and, and, park someplace that would have possibly made it impossible for you to come and join this event. But you didn't see it that way. Tell us what happened. I knew I couldn't walk from wherever they pointed way up this hill. I knew I couldn't even walk down the hill. And with my belongings 
And they said someone paid for all the parking spots. Um, and then um, I, he said, well, I could risk being towed away. I went, that's good. That's good. That was a little green light. And I went in there and parked. And then the person who paid for all the spots, they go, and they wanted me to leave. And I, I said, but those are handicapped parking spots. You, you can't like buy handicapped parking spots. So anyway, basically he said, how long are you going to be here? I said, "Mm, two hours. And, um, and then he said, okay, two hours you can be here. I said, okay, six o'clock. That gave me two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, they let me do it. But I really don't think they really could buy or own the handicapped parking spots. And I didn't want to take no for an answer because I can't walk that far. And, um, Anyway, I was very happy they let me, and it turned out, and I don't think I hurt them in any way. I would have liked to thank them a million times, but I never did see them again. But, yeah, people have to stand up. You know, they say if you don't stand up for something, you're going to fall for everything. That's a funny <laughs> expression. But, yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more, and I, I think it kind of echoes out into – uh, so many other things, and I think, you know, when defendants stand up and, and fight for their rights, as I did and so many others have, um, I think it, it sends a message. It sends a message both to those of us that are at risk of, of being charged and, and um, you know, going through cases and, and being arrested and, and uh, locked up and all of that. Um, it also affects you know anybody who might be affected even from the outside and to watch one person stand up it's kind of like um i don't know when you're in grade school and and the teacher asks you know who who did this and nobody wants to raise their hand and then finally one person raises their hand and another one does and another one does it's that first person that that causes that motion to happen and i just know that you know, when I watch people stand up and when we bring attention to it and we cause them to have support and we see the effect that comes from that support, it inspires others. And I just know that um, a lot of times you don't notice it. A lot of times you'll never know what what you did and how it affected other people. But I just know that when people have the kind of spirit that you have, it's infectious and it is literally a big part of the solution, the human solution. So being said, I'm just really pleased to have you be a part of our organization. Hopefully your card will be arriving soon. I've I've got assurances from my vice president and uh, membership coordinator that it's going to be hand-delivered to you. So um, you've been a member of the human solution for, I don't know, four, five, six years now. And uh, we're just really so pleased to have you be a part of us. And um, you know it, it is very much like a real family. So, anything you wanna you wanna say to um, people who are considering making a difference out there? Well, <clears throat> I am very proud to be a part of the Human Solution. The people who actually get up, get out of their comfort zone, and care about other people. Uh, sure, there's politics, and people have different opinions, and they are 
have arguments and they spread false rumors and who knows what I've seen so much stuff but the human solution actually helps and if you're in trouble with the law you really want the human solution for their court support moral support legal support maybe knowledge I mean if I ever had to go through the court system, I would not want to be all alone. And um, I think the human solution really covers something that nobody has covered before. And um, people don't have to go through the court system and feel so outnumbered. And um, there is power to the people, and I'm so happy to know you and know the human solution and I I'd love to meet all of the members one day internationally. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's and it's interesting that you said that because um next week next week's show we're gonna be joined by um our Canadian chapter and we have um uh Janice and Devin Davis from Manitoba and they, they have a nice little chapter up there. And I'm going to be joining them uh, next in, in a week and a couple of days, and we're going to be having a an international get together. And I'm really excited about it because they're a small chapter, but they're a mighty chapter, and they kind of represent, you know, us as humanity. We're always the underdog in this, but we've moved mighty mountains and we've made a difference in uh, so many cases and in so many people's lives over and over. So. I'm just so proud to be um, a part of this. I'm so proud that this little uh, baby that, uh, you know, we started so many years ago is growing up and maturing and, and able to do a lot of good for a lot of people. So, Vincent, I am just uh, always a treat, and I am – I told you how easy this was going to be. I knew you were going to be a great interview, and um, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Um, I'd like to have you be a regular on the show because you have a perspective that we could talk about a lot of um, different points from your point of view as a senior and as somebody who um, has, has dealt with disabilities and, and dealt with hardships and, and yet persevered. And I think that that is such a lesson that um, I think we could get to be infectious. I think we could get enough people. I mean, imagine the Army we could get if we had people like you willing to stand up and fight, we would have the, an unstoppable army. <laughs> I believe that. If all patients came out and p people who support the patients, like their friends and relatives, if they all came out at the same time and went to their courthouse or city hall and showed up all in one day, I, I think we could get that federal schedule one changed really quickly. And if everybody would just come out one day and show how many real numbers, that way they don't have to sign anything. Their name's not on anything. They can wear sunglasses. We don't care, yeah. you know. You can wear a fake mustache and a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't matter. <laughs> well, I will call in again, and we'll have a few more discussions there are many things that i would like some of the novices to know that people have no wonderful idea. well then i know you've got another meeting to go to i told you i'd get you off by uh 
by 5.30, so I'm just, uh, once again, I love you, and I'm just so glad that you're uh, part of my family. I love you, Joe. I'll always be part of the family, and happy anniversary to you and Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much. We'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. All right, thank you again, Vincent. Um, And again, just an amazing spirit, and um, I I wish there were more Vincents out there. Okay, we're going to be bringing up Irma Allred um, up next. But I want to bring up a couple of points, and I, Craig Cecil may be calling in first. And if he does, um, that will take 15 minutes. So, Irma, I'm going to bring you up in just a couple of seconds. I, I want to show everybody um, we're having a little contest. It's kind of an ongoing contest. And um, we have this little ribbon here called a solidarity ribbon and of solidarity it's a symbol of support it's a symbol uh, that shows us as first responders it shows our our alliance our coalition our defiance it shows so many things that when a defendant wears this ribbon and um, the supporters wear the ribbon as well it makes a powerful statement, and I've watched courthouses, courtrooms, judges, bailiffs, and prosecutors all be dramatically affected by this. Um, this is Craig Cecil calling in, so we're going to get back to the contest in just a minute. But first, Craig Cecil. Let's call it something. Craig Cecil. An inmate at a federal prison. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. Hang up to decline the call Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? Hello, good evening, Joe. I'm happy to say I'm in Indiana where there's no hurricane, no heat, heat waves, no no locusts. <laughs> we're doing well here. No plagues of any kind, huh? No, no, we're we're one of the few places it's it's that the weather is acceptable. No no alligators swimming in the streets, no uh piles of dead fish on your front lawn? the leaves changing and the the weather and all of that. Well, here in Southern California, we have one season, and we call it hot. And then in the wintertime, it cools off some, but um, primarily it's hot. It's actually been kind of nice today. Um, Today's kind of a – this has been kind of a a, a wild week. We were just talking about all of the natural disasters and, um, of course, the anniversary of September 11th. Uh, which was a very unnatural disaster. And yet, through it all, there's there's good things happening. There's people uh, standing together. There's um, uh, people inspiring each other. There's people standing up. And we've got a, a very special guest that's going to be on uh, after you uh, who served, uh, I believe, 21 years of a 30-year sentence. Um in federal prison for pot. And, you know, I how many years have you got down behind you now? I have 15 down. I'm just about to turn 16 years. Wow. Well, I, I am very much hoping that you are out before she got out, and I wish she would have got out before she did. But, you know, there's, there's a, 
a wave of change happening, and it's not happening as fast as we want, and it's not happening as broadly as we want. Um, but I, I believe it's still happening, and I, you know, we, we we hear of pushback, and you and I have been talking about the pushback that's happening, um, and and is going to continue to happen because of uh, Jeff Sessions, um, you know, stance on the war on drugs, and you know, he's he's a, a Nixonite. He thinks that we should, you know, sharpen up our swords and and start cutting them down again, and and. Um, you know, we're starting to see some rebellion, um, and, and not just over that, but over other things. I, I just heard on the news that California is um, actually, as a state, officially defying the government when it comes to uh, some of the um, immigration policies that are that are being enforced and said to be enforced, and California is is declaring itself to be a sanctuary state. Now, I have totally mixed feelings about that in itself, um, and I have very strong feelings about our immigration policies and, and, and the health of immigration, but I'm not here to talk about that right now. But the idea that a state would stand up to the federal government over, over a single issue like this tells me maybe, who knows, maybe a state will stand up against the government over the drug policy enforcement. Maybe if the feds decide to really come in and start kicking down some doors, maybe one of the maybe one or more of the states will actually stand up and say Wait a minute, no, we're not gonna let that happen. What do you think about that? Well, I, th I think our government is shaken. I, I think that's the biggest problem. If you look at both the marijuana issue and the DACA issue, under DACA President Obama said, you know, hey we, we should not enforce the law against this group of people, which, of course, I do have a problem with the president doing something like that. But on the other hand, Congress didn't come through and, and say, you know, hey, we're either going to let these people stay and be legal or we're going to kick them out because they're illegal. They, you can't leave them somewhere in between. And Congress never stepped up and did that. Congress also did, though, is regarding marijuana, they didn't deschedule it or, you know, somehow, you know, decriminalize it, it yeah, they made part of a budget that they could prosecute certain people or use federal dollars to prosecute certain people that are legal under state law where they're performing. Now that, again, is, is something illegal, just like President Obama saying we shouldn't enforce the law on these people. Why is the, our Congress saying that we're not going to, you know, have the guts to get up and uh, deschedule marijuana from the Controlled Substance Act, but instead we're just going to pick and choose that these people in these 20-something states doing, you know, what the state allows them to do, uh, we're not going to prosecute them. We're not going to apply federal law. And, you know, these things just can't be. The federal law either applies to everybody or nobody. I mean, we can't pick certain races to apply it to or genders or or even people in different states to, you know, apply federal laws in a different way, too. The whole thing's a fallacy, and what we need to do is give our congressmen and congresswomen the, the guts to stand up and say, hey, the law is wrong, we need to fix it. Or, or the boot for not doing it. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Craig, and, and in fact, it's, it's a, hell, it's a dichotomy and a conundrum all wrapped up together. 
the the you can't have a rule of law and only enforce it when you feel like it. And at the same time, we have these bad laws, and we have, you know, we teach people about their rights as a juror to nullify a law. But the President of the United States swears an oath to follow the law, to uphold the Constitution. And then they turn around and decide arbitrarily that, well, this one isn't very good. And rather than go through the channels that you're supposed to as the leader of the free world to set an example for everybody else, um, that this is a good system and that the system works and that it can work, they just arbitrarily say, no, executive order, I'm just going to say no, not today. Um, and, and what kind of a precedent does that set? What other laws are arbitrarily going to be enforced or not enforced? And who are they going to be enforced on or not enforced on? I mean, it, it, it opens up a floodgate of uh, tyranny, really, and in, the, in the name of helping others, which is kind of crazy. And again, it's because, you know, our Congress doesn't have the guts to stand up and really look at the problem. With the DACA issue, the problem is that these people were brought here when they were children and it wasn't their decision. The problem is they're now adults and they, most of them don't have a decent way to become legal. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean, the problem isn't what happened years ago that their parents did. The problem is that they're adults. They're not legal. And for most of them, you know, it's very limited ways that they can become legal. I think that's what we need to look at in that situation. With the marijuana, we need to leave it to the states. Right here in the prison, the back of the prison is the Wabash River. That's the line between Illinois and Indiana. On the Illinois side of the river, they're not supposed to prosecute people under federal law because they have medical marijuana laws. Here in Indiana, they don't. So the very same law would apply to somebody here in Indiana, but it wouldn't apply to the person right across the river. That's wrong. Our, our, our Constitution doesn't, I mean, it, it guarantees uh, equal application of the law. Hey, Craig, is there any chance that there's any fish in that Wabash River? <laughs> Actually, they have those, uh, I don't know if you've heard about the, the Asian carp. <laughs> Oh, they're probably not they're that really big fish. Yeah, but you can't they're really eat fish. them. Yeah, I guess the Asians do, but uh, uh, they jump out of the boats and they jump out of the water and hit people. <laughs> oh, no kidding! Wow. Well, some people killed by it. No kidding. Well, I'm gonna have to go research the Wabash River and 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 I don't know. Who knows? Maybe you'll see a guy floating along the river waving by. <laughs> Well, you know, we just had somebody on the show who, um, her name's Vincette, and she wanted to wish you a happy birthday. I know it's a little late, but uh, Vincette is uh, a longtime supporter. She was out there during my trial, um, I think, every day. She was out there um, uh, being there in court support and, and rallying when we were rallying, and, and she's just a warrior. And we were uh, we went to the beach this last weekend and uh, did a little get together, and um, she's very much. You've probably received letters from her, um, but anyways, her name's Vincent. She wanted to wish you a happy birthday. All right, thank her very much. But by the way, today is actually my birthday. Oh no, kidding! <laughs> well, hell, happy birthday! Yeah. Well, you know it's, it's funny. <laughs> 
today is my wedding anniversary. And uh, 21 years ago today, I was married to my wife. And um, well, I, congratulations. I think you made a, a very good decision that time. <laughs> well, it may have been one of the only good decisions I made 20 years ago, but uh, or 21 years ago, but this one was good. I. It's funny, when I met her, we, um, you know, I told her when we first started going out, I said, you know, I, um, I got to tell you, I, I grow pot, and I go out in the wilderness, and I, it's just something I do, and it's part of my life. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't want this to be a problem with you, um, but if it is, you know, tell me now before things get too involved, uh, because I'm not going to stop. And um, she said, no. I'm okay with it, you know, you just just don't put my family in jeopardy. She had two young daughters. And later on we did get married and, and I ended up raising her daughters as my own. And uh, I don't think she had any idea what was in store for her, though, uh, at 22 years ago before we got married, that we would end up being, uh, you know, warriors on the civil rights front and that I would have, uh, you know, gone down the roads I've gone and, uh, seen the things I've seen, but somehow through it all, she stuck by me, and uh, she's actually one of the reasons I've been able to maintain this course because I, you know, didn't have to worry about her uh, going off on, you know, it, it being a deal breaker as much as um, um, it could have been. I know a lot of marriages don't survive this kind of a of a battle, and especially, you know, when your life's work gets. Uh, destroyed over it and you know everybody you know um is affected and you know it's a it's a it's a life changer as it is but she stuck by me and here it is 21 years later i actually remembered this year um in most years past we've both forgotten i'd say well things must be going good if we're if we don't need a a, a special day to remind us well congratulations and just think of your not only your year-over-year year, uh, uh, progress and success in your marriage, but your year-over-year year, uh, success in your activism. 21 years ago, you didn't see specials on TV going in and uh, news people filming marijuana grow operations all over the country. Oh, my God. And that was a pretty daily event on TV. <laughs> 21 years ago, I was a complete outlaw, and nobody... Um, knew anything about anything, and and you know it was um, it was a whole different world. I never would have imagined 21 years ago that we would be where we are. Um, but I still, you know, stand by the premise that we have a long way to go, and there's still a lot of people getting cut down, and there's people uh, just as yourself that have been cut down and are are, are languishing in a in an oubliette, and we won't let it be that. We we will. Uh, not allow you to be forgotten, and we're we're gonna keep pulling on the door till it breaks down, and and you're able to walk out free. Well, thank you very much. And like I say, not only does that make all the difference to me and my my family, you know, my daughter especially, but even to the prisoners around me that see my, you know, pictures on the on the wall in the cell that. Many of them know why I'm on the phone right now. It gives everybody hope that there's people outside the fence that actually care about us, uh, you know, on this side of the barbed wire. Well, you know, I talk about this a lot, and probably not enough, but, 
you know, one of the big things that the human solution is all about is the hope. And and just, you know, being there on the phone or with a letter or, or, or at the other side of, of whatever, knowing for people to realize that when they're in a dark place or when they're in a, 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 a terrifying place, that there is somebody to call, there is somebody that cares. That's really the key of what we're all about. Well, Craig, there's your first beep. What uh, I'll turn it over to you to finish it up. Well, first of all, just on the line, as I went 10 years without getting letters or all that, just a, a weekly phone call to my children, and it's made all the difference, the support from you and so many other advocates that, you know, are part of your flock. And that, if we're going to have change, we need to pe- get people to push the congressmen, you know, get the guns to get out there and change the laws change the laws to what the people really want. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Craig. And, um, you know, as always, I, uh, I, I, I look forward to these conversations. And I know I'm just talking myself now because uh, Craig was cut off. We get 15 minutes to talk, and that's it. Um, and we're going to bring up Irma next. And Adam Asenberg just showed up, too. So, um, hopefully, Adam, you can stick around for a few. We're going to be bringing Irma Allred up now. She's been sitting on the line for uh, 45 minutes now. And, uh, Adam, you'll be up next. Um, you know, every time I talk to Craig, you know, Craig and I met, I think, four, maybe five years ago. I started doing a radio show, not this particular version, uh, about, hell, I think it was, over four years ago now. I've been doing this show for two years. The show before that, the show before that, yeah. Probably close to four years ago, I think I started this show, or the version of it. And shortly after we began the show, um, we invited Craig and a number of the other inmates to call in. Now, you got to remember that when an inmate, either state or federal, um, calls into a show like this, they're putting themselves in harm's way. There's very strict rules about third-party calls, and unless you have it organized with your, you know, whatever the boss of you, um, allow it to happen, which occasionally we were able to do, he risks being put into solitary confinement and losing what little privileges he has um, after, you know, being in prison for so long. So every time Craig calls, no matter what I'm doing, no matter who I'm talking to, no matter what's going on, we cut to Craig right away because he gets that 15 minutes, and that's it. So um, now we're going to bring up Irma Allred, and uh, Irma has a very special place in my heart. I um, connected with Irma probably about the same time. So, Irma, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hello. Good evening. How are you all doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I understand you just um, had a surgery. Uh, yes. Well, first of all, happy anniversary, okay? Oh, that's uh, something. That's a big celebration. You better be taking your wife somewhere, okay? I don't care where well, we're going to eat ice cream. The show's all over, I can guarantee you. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And a happy birthday to Craig, and uh, I wish him the very best and tell him to never, ever give up. No, yeah, I couldn't agree more, and that's kind of the message that we have. You know, we can't give up. You have a very uh, interesting story. 
I, I think you and I met, and I don't know if you even remember me personally, but I know we reached out to you as the organization probably, I don't know, about four, maybe five years ago. Um, yes. Do you remember uh-huh. receiving the first letters from people in the Human Solution? Yes, and I was, like, freaked out because for all the years before, I had never heard anything from nobody. And then all of a sudden, I started getting letters and cards, and and then I started getting money, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? You know, and then so I started writing back and stuff, and I I found out that you all were for real, you know, because you can't trust just anybody when you're in prison. You have to watch out. What you do, who you say to, uh, who you call, because everything is recorded, you know what I mean? But uh, it was, uh, I think it was like the best thing that had ever happened to me while I was there. I got so many letters from so many people that, I mean, I thought everybody was against pot. You know, when they they lock you up and stuff, and they're like, oh, my God, that's it. You know, and then I started getting all these support letters from people and it just felt good. I mean, you're not alone, and you're alone when you're in prison. You might have friends, but you are alone. Well, that's 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 a, a huge message that we try to get out there. And you know, if you listen to Craig at the end, he always kind of thanks everybody for uh, you know shining a light in a dark place and and letting you know people know that he's there and and. You know, I want to I want to go back and let's talk about your situation. Um, you know, you said you were locked up for a while before you had any um, any support whatsoever. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what happened back in 1994? Um, is when your when your uh, stint began? Is that correct? Uh, yes, it sure did. Uh, I had uh, I was convicted for a ten year conspiracy from 1984 to 1994, and uh, I was facing a life sentence, and I chose to take it to court because I did not agree with what they were saying. Some things I did do, but a lot of them I did not do. Okay, and I thought the system was gonna like help me out. I knew I had to go to prison for a little time, but I didn't know that I was like going to prison because uh, I had sold pot and I I didn't know how the system really worked until you go up against the system. That's when you find out how crooked it is. And well, maybe it's not crooked. It's how broken it is. You know, people. I think it's a little crooked and a little broken. (laughs) Yeah. You got the right politicians on there and you call it crooked, you know, uh, yes, but uh, yeah, I uh, I beat them on a life sentence by taking it to trial because they had offered a plea bargain. One time they spoke to me for 45 years, and that's what made me decide, like, oh, heck no, uh-uh, I'm taking it to court, you know. Well, when I took it to court, it was just me, myself, and I, and some attorney that uh, uh, was just sitting there listening to everything and just told me to keep my mouth shut, you know, if I would have known that before. I would have been talking over and over and uh, objecting to this and objecting to that, you know, because I had people that testified against me that I didn't even know, you know, and I'm like, well, who's this? Oh, well, they said that you showed them this, and I said, like, but I don't know them. Well, as long as somebody says something against you, that's what you call the hearsay, okay? Anybody can say something against you, and the feds will take it, 
and they will believe them. Whatever, and, and half of the time the people have been in trouble already. So whatever they say against you will count for them, and that's time off of them, and that's tacked on to you. And that's what happened to me with a lot of the people that testified. They just went ahead and said something that the government wanted them to say so that you could get convicted. But uh, I came out actually beating them with a 30-year sentence, you know, because uh, they were, like, highly upset when uh, I got the 30 years. They wanted life for me. And I'm like, well, who did I kill, you know? I'm like, dang, what, what, what's going on? But you're lost, you know? And that, that's well, how that's, it started. Well, you, you brought out a lot of points, and, and a lot of points that is, you know, kind of why we exist as an organization. When When I got locked up, you know, it was just a state case, but the same thing happens. You know, you you surround yourself with with your family and your friends, and and then all of a sudden, and you're doing you make choices, and you're doing what what you decide to do. But like you said, you know, growing pot, selling pot, transporting pot, any of those things, there's never a victim to it. You're not hurting anybody. So when you get accused of a crime, you, you kind of scratch your head and you're like, what? what how does that how does that be a crime? <clears throat> but what happens is is people run from you when it happens. And and oh, yeah. you, you know you know, I'll bet you had a lot of friends until until your case started and then like you say, you find yourself kind of all alone. And I think that that's, you know, a big part of it. When I went through my case, you know, luckily I, I'm I'm a loudmouth and, and I I was really upset that they did this, and I I just went out there and I started beating the bushes and finding people to help. And you know I lost a lot of friends, I lost a lot of family members, I lost a lot of people that were close to me. But I went and found others to replace them. And when I realized how important that that was, that's how the group began. That's how the Human Solution was born, is realizing the need for that. Now you brought up another point about lawyers, you know, and I'm not saying all lawyers are bad, and I'm not saying anything in a broad brush, but I have watched so many people over the years put all their faith in a lawyer and have just like what you say happen. They tell you to shut up and just sit there, and I'll take care of this. And by the time you're all done and you watch, like you say, people testifying against you, you didn't even know these people, and they're up there on the stand, and they're, they're, they're talking about things that never happened. It happened in my case. I had a guy testify, lied on the stand. I'm like, what the hell? How could this be happening? And you can't do anything about it at the time because, you know, your lawyer tells you just sit there and, and, and don't upset anybody. And and by the time it's all said and done, by the time you realize sometimes that this wasn't fair, you didn't get the 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 fair and impartial trial that you were supposed to, it's too late. Now, Yes. So you got a 30-year sentence, and in, in, you know, in my eyes, I go, well, that's not even, that's completely unacceptable. How could somebody get 30 years? Did you have a history of crime before that? Did you have, you I, know, a... a yes, I, I had uh, a five-year probation before for five pounds of pot in the state of Texas. But it was just pot. And, All and, the things that you had in the past yeah, were just was, for pot. pot. Yeah, it was pot. And, uh, you never robbed right anybody? There. Oh, no. 
You okay. never saw uh-uh. anybody. I, I, I came from a, I came from a very very strict family. Okay, I was I was the crazy one in the family, the daredevil, the everything, the black sheep, whatever you want to call me. That was me. My family were all like tied politically, had good jobs, and they're all like worked with governments and stuff like that. But I was the one that was not going to work with the government and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? You were the so, one. Um, I don't know why, you know. And, and I was actually a, a good child, okay? I actually was. I don't know. Well, I, I know different things happen in your life, and, you know, you make wrong choices and stuff, and you got to live with it and pay with it and stuff. But I never, ever thought that I was going to, like, go to prison for that much time, you know, because while, while I was there in prison, I also saw people that did more and had, like, a mile-long felonies. And I'm like, how could you get five years? And I got 30 for weed. And I'm like, I don't understand. Well, I started understanding because half of those people were also doing the same thing that somebody else did to me in trial. They went and testified against right. somebody not knowing nothing, and that's how they got their time. You know, because a conspiracy carries 10 years mandatory. If you're charged with a conspiracy, honey, you're going to do 10 years. If you take a plea, you might go less. If you testify against somebody, oh, you're definitely going less. So when you're over there in prison and they say, well, I got black and black and five years, ten years, and well, what's your charge? Conspiracy? Oh, you know right quick, oh, stay away from this person. This person spoke against somebody or did something to somebody else to get themselves out of whatever. Now, me, I played with some fire and I got burned, but not for no darn 30 years, Okay. Definitely not for that. But it's like you don't know when you go into court what they can. You read a lot of stuff. You see a lot of TV and stuff. It does not happen that way in court. The judge will tell you, this is my my room. This is my trial, and, and you go by my rules. I don't care what rules are written down. He's going to go by his rules, and that's what happened. We had to go by his rules, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot. Um, I've sat in a lot of courtrooms all over the country, federal courtrooms, state courtrooms, family law, and, and what you just said is so important because people uh, that are not active, people that are not, you know, willing to stand up and fight, they believe that court is a certain way, that, that your rights are intact no matter what, and that the judges and the the, the the bailiffs and the prosecutors all have to follow the law. But the truth is, in the courtroom, the, the judge is God, and the judge does yeah. whatever he wants. And, and you know, and if you're God, fortunate you're gonna, enough to... Yeah, and you're going to bow down to this judge. I don't care. He is yes. the God of that at that time. A lot of us don't realize, True. and some of us will get smart and stuff, but... That man is watching everything that you're doing, everything. If you blink an eye, if you do that, they're watching you. You're, but you've got to understand, you're already guilty before you go to trial. You're guilty. Well, that's what people don't realize. They, you know, you're told that you're innocent until proven guilty. But when you go into that courtroom, it's very much the opposite. It's, it's, yeah. You're looked at as guilty, yeah. and you kind of have to prove your innocence. 
And, you yeah, know, that, I got hauled out of court four times, locked up, out of, straight from court. And none of those times did I expect it. And you you, you find yourself just going, how how can this be? What You know, what just happened here? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just the way it is. Well, how old were yeah. you when you were uh, when you first got uh, locked up? Uh, I was thirty six, turned thirty seven in the jail, and now wow. I am sixty. Mm-hmm. Wow! I lost everything. My mama had told me life started at forty. I told her, "Mama, I don't know, man. I'm still locked up." You know, wow. my life started at, at, when I came out of prison. That's when my life started, and by God, I'm doing it. I'm. I'm trying to live life, not exist, but to live. Well, I want to get to that. So, um, you know, you spent you spent 21 years locked up, and for the first, you said, over 10 years, you were just kind of there by yourself. Um, I, I, I I've known most of Okay, good. Your family, family stepped by you, though. My family has, has always stood by me, but my family are the good. kind that you don't go against the federal system. There's nothing you can do. That, that, that's what they thought, not knowing that, yes, you can fight against the federal system. I've got every, I fought every motion, and, every, and I was always getting an oral arguments with them and stuff, but I did not have the knowledge or the attorney to complete my motions and stuff. Some of my some of my paperwork were lost in the mail. So by the time I got an answer or whatever, it, they told me denied because I never answered. Well, I never got the letter. You know, wow. stuff like that happens to you when you are locked up. When the, the odds are against you, you know, it's just how I got home, how I got out, how the law changed the tables and stuff. Uh, something was on my side after so many years, you know, yeah. I, I have to agree with that. Now, one of the points that I I, I remember um, talking to you about way back when, you got hit with a, a large fine in addition to your <laughs> yeah. sentence. Um, yeah. And, and it was a lot of money. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because, I mean, even if you're working full-time in prison, you're not making anything. So, I mean, tell us, what what was your fine? It was like $20, $25,000? Yes, I had a fine of $25,000 with 18% interest. And at the end of uh, of my sentence, if I didn't pay it, uh, they would have either tacked more time to me or some kind of arrangements. Well, uh, I'm one of those that if I owe something, I'm going to pay it. I don't care. It was put on me, and I had to pay it. So I worked my butt off. I worked for Unicorn. I started with, uh, what was it, like 12 cents uh, an an hour, and then I gradually went to Unicorn, and then I started working more, and I started doing a lot of maintenance and working a lot of overtime, winning awards and stuff, but they took half my check always. So I never saw my check because it went to pay towards the fine. At the very end, I paid all my fine, but I also got sick in the process because I worked so much. I'm talking like I worked day and night. I would sometimes try to have two jobs, you know, because it costs money to buy commissary, and your family cannot be supporting you like that. 
you have to have the food is not all that great in the kitchen also, you know? I mean, sometimes you don't know what I, I you're eating. And a lot of people don't understand, you know, that uh, a bottle of soap is going to cost you like two, three bucks, okay? It's not like going over here to a Piggly Wiggly or an H-E-B or, a, or another uh, store, a Walmart, and buy something cheap. Oh, no, you buy something from commentary, it's going to be tax 30% markup on everything that you buy. Okay, so if you're some of the ladies that don't have the skills or are just in there, uh, don't want to better themselves, they get $5.25 a month, a month, okay? Your shampoo costs money. Your toothpaste costs money. Okay, all your hygiene costs money. That's the number one thing that you get is your hygiene. And you can't even afford to buy that, you know? So that's why you have to, like, you, when you go into prison, you have to just go to a job, learn a skill. You cannot stay behind. You have to also better yourself so when you come out, you are somebody worth your, you know what I'm talking about? You know what your worth oh, yeah. is then. You lost, uh, you lost everything. I mean, when I went to prison, the fax machine was the big deal, okay? I come <laughs> out and I got a damn cell phone that can't <laughs> even work. You hear me? My son said, oh, well, work it out, Mom. Work it out. You, you can't do nothing wrong with it. I locked myself with the cell phone for two days. I couldn't call because I locked myself out. Why? I pushed buttons. I don't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? And them things didn't come with no instructions. You got to Google it. Oh, my God. I had to find Google. Now, guess what? I'm, I'm pretty savvy with the Google. <laughs> I'm learning. Well, oh, you know, you're, you're demonstrating so many uh, amazing uh, attributes. That, you know, like what we were just talking about, about, you know, what a person's spirit and a person's willingness to – to keep going and not not to be crushed, um, but you got sick in there, um, and I know that when you were still locked up and we were we were in communication, um, you were making some leather leather craft things. I, I, I remember you sent us a, I think it was a wallet or you sent us something. Anyways, um, we were, we used it for uh, to raise money for one of the uh, one of the defendants, but. Um, you got sick in there, and and you had uh, you needed a surgery while you were in there. What what happened? Uh, yes, I started getting sick, like lack of energy and blackouts and headaches. That half of the time I didn't know if I was going to be throwing up or having the headaches. The toilet was my best friend at times from throwing up and stuff. And finally, after nine years of suffering, nine years of migraine headaches they took me to get an MRI and they found out that I had three brain aneurysms and one of them was a giant one and right now I have so many coils I have like I started with 43 coils and this last surgery they just put seven feet two inches of coils in the bad aneurysm that I have and uh well I feel better, you know, but me up. I have a lot of memory loss. Uh, I got cross-eyed in prison. If it wasn't the things that I did with a lot of the inmates 
in there, the good and the bad. I got along with all of them, and they all helped me. Because when you're cross-sided, you have no balance. Your food is no good. I mean, you you can't taste food. I was taking steroids that they gave me. I mean, I was so sick. And there was even a bet going on between uh, the staff whether I was going to pull through this surgery or not. I've had a total of three surgeries in prison and one just recently about two weeks ago. Uh, So uh, I I know, believe me, I know what hell is. But like I always said, I never give up. I don't care what, you never, ever give up. And look at where I'm at right now. I'm still sick, but I feel a lot better and I am free. I still got 10 years probation, and uh, I don't know what I have done in my life, but I have had a good probation officer. The man does not bother me. He, they work with me, but they also look at your record when you're in prison. And all I did was work courses as possible, take classes to improve, make myself a better person, become a, a better parent. And then look at all of that, that you're really trying to change and not just be the person that you went in there. Because when you go to prison, you, you, you went there for a reason, okay? Yes, you were probably somebody you didn't like. You, I didn't like myself before, you know, I, but I didn't deserve all that time either. You, you, but, I mean, it happens. And there's nothing I can say or do to bring back that time. So I had to better myself and make myself proud. I'm proud of me now. And I got and so I have a chihuahua. I have a chihuahua. <laughs> we have four of those little guys. <laughs> a, we have a whole house of chihuahuas over here. So so what happened that changed that, that allowed you to get out nine years early? Uh the law the the law changed. Uh it wasn't the weight of the for the marijuana they changed the levels, and if you were not a violent person uh, with a crime that was violent, uh, your levels would go down. So it was what you call a two-point deduction, and I qualified for the two-point reduction because I was in there with one count. That's all I had was one count, and I got all that time, and the weight were had gone down. So the weight of the pot went down, so that allowed for, and, and it was not a mandatory thing. It was up to the judge, again, the sentencing judge, to say yay or nay if you deserve that time to, to come out. And the judge looked at my files, saw everything that I did, that I didn't just sit around and just watch everybody and watch life go by that I actually did work to better myself and educate myself more. And he signed my papers and said, time served, because that, oh, that was... Tell me about that. You know, Were that you was, there in court happened? No. Did they take they you into court? No, it just happened separate. So, so you it got a letter happened. one day. You just one day, you were, you were going to work like every other day, and one day you got a letter, and the letter said no, you were no. getting out. No, when when you're in prison, you are writing motions, you are doing this. You, so you are aware of all the changes that are happening around you with the law, especially the federal law, okay? And then 
things started changing a little bit more. They were starting to talk about marijuana getting legalized, about medical marijuana being legalized. And it started, like, happening in one state and another. And, and I started saying, like, oh, my God, well, maybe they'll legalize something, and this might help me, you know, and stuff. And then the the level started changing and stuff. It went before the the sentencing committee, and the sentencing committee did all this research for years and years, and they found out yes, it was excessive time uh, for a certain amount of weed or a certain amount of drugs. And if you got no violence, well, the prisons were so crowded that they needed to have some kind of relief. That's really the the main reason that they lowered all this. The prisons were like over max. Okay? And you got people that are like nonviolent. You got people that are like real violent. I mean, you got some people that are mean. Mean and, and ugly to a human race. And those are the ones that really need to be in the prison. And they found out that there's a lot of that. And there was a lot of people that just were in there for, for weed or, or uh, other stuff, you know. So they started lowering, the, you know, after they did all their 10-year research, okay, then they started lowering little by little. But it was up to the discretion of the judge and the recommendation of the probation officer that sentenced or that wrote your PSI when you were going to trial. So that happened with me, and uh, the lady was still the probation officer there in Panama City, Florida. And the judge was the same judge, and he signed my papers. So, so how did that feel when you got the, the notice um, that you were going home? I mean, that must Man. have just been, I mean, it must have just been of, like the best. Yeah, but a lot of the ladies who were getting letters were denied, denied, denied. And I was like, oh, man, you know, they, they were asking me, get a compassionate, if you can get a compassionate release. And yeah, they just and get a compassionate. They didn't even want to give me a compassionate release. And I'm over here, I'm sick as a dog. So uh, I, a friend of mine called the probation people and wanted to find out. And they said, well, uh, we're going uh, to qualify, but we're going to see if the judge signs it and stuff. So a friend of mine, you know, did that for me, and then when I got the letter, I op- I opened it up and I was like, it just came like regular letter. Everybody else was coming in like through the staff, and you had to sign for your letter and blah blah blah, you know. And then you get and you see what the answer is. Mine came just a regular letter, and I, so I'm thinking like, well, I got denied. I opened it up and I'm like, oh my god, and I had to read it again and again. And then I called my friend, my friend Billy Taylor, and he like, Billy, you read this here. You know, she said, man, 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 you got it, you got it, you know. And I'm over here like, I said, like, okay, hold on, hold on. I had to go to my room and lock myself up. I, I closed the door, and I just stood there looking stupid, you know, in the mirror. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going home. Oh, my God, I'm going home. And then, I opened it. I went and I called my mama. I was I was like, my mama was crying. My sister was crying. And, oh, my God. And I was like, I am going home. Oh, my God, I get to see my daughter. I get to meet my daughter. Because I left my daughter when she was 11 years old and my son was nine. And wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't know them. You know, I mean, you know your kids, but you don't even know their They'd favorite already grown color. Up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was married wow. and, and, and 
I was like, woo! I was like so excited. It's a feeling that you 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 can't explain it. You know, you can't. Well, I think you did a pretty good job explaining it. I think I think you were able to share <laughs> that. So, how long was it between the time that that you got this letter and the time that you actually walked out the door? Okay, well, let me see. It was about six months because uh, oh, they man. just told me that, that I had to wait, that I had to wait. And, and I oh. was like, all these other people were going. They had halfway houses and blah, blah, blah. And I'm still going through surgeries. And I think that was one of the main reasons that they didn't let me go because uh, I had had a problem with one of the surgeries to where I, that's when I got cross-sighted and lost my memory and stuff. And... I needed one more surgery, and and, and it, it's a good thing that I was there, and they did it, you know. Uh, so they did the surgery, and then they let me come to the house. They didn't give me no halfway house or none of that kind wow. of stuff, and I was like, oh, wow. I mean, they said, they don't do that already. They don't do that, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going home. My sister went and picked me up with my niece, and, I remember going to the star, uh, a store and getting coffee, and they were telling me that uh, I, I put some sugar in it. Oh, well, Aunt Irma, it's already got sugar. The creamer got sugar, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I yeah, have real yeah. coffee. Oh. That's amazing. And so sleeping, the, sleeping oh, on I a remember even, say again. I said sleeping on on a bed. My mama went and got me oh, a queen size yeah. bed. I made my mama take that back, and they got me a full-size bed because I could not sleep with that emptiness. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's 21 years and seven months, okay, that I slept on a cot like that. It's not even a bunk bed. It's a cot, and you don't have the luxury of a big mattress or nothing. Uh -uh. You come out, and you're like, Oh my God! You actually sit on a chair. You eat, you eat with a with a spoon and a fork and a knife. It's not plastic. You're like, oh my God! Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. People take so many things for granted, and you know, you get locked up and you get you lose those things. And and you know, even the short period of time I was locked up, it was enough for me to appreciate you know, what it's like to not be locked up, and the food and, and the sleeping arrangements and the, um, just the ability to go outside when you want to go outside. I mean, all these things I think so many people take take for granted. And, you know, to get that back again, I, I, you know, what a horrible price that you had to pay. But but you've, you've seen the joy in it. You've, you've made the lemonade along the way. Now, tell me about now. I mean, you've got a new relationship with your kids. Is that going well? Oh, yes. Uh, when I got out of prison, my son was the first one that went there with me. And he stayed in the apartments that my mama allowed me to stay in. And uh, I got to know my son better. And then my daughter, when I was uh, coming out, when I was on the road coming out of prison, my daughter made a phone call and told me that she was pregnant. And so I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a, a baby. I'm going to be carrying a little baby. He already had one, and I met him in prison as a, a, a two-week-old baby. But now I'm going to 
come over here. And my daughter said, well, mom, can you come and help me? I need really need your help, and you can get to know us. And so I moved over here to Ohio, where I never in my wildest dreams thought, because I'm always cold, and here I am in the cold state, you know, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. I At got into it with my daughter. God, I would have been flooded out. No, well, I moved to Texas, right? And I would have been flooded out in Texas, and I hadn't employed Either way, yes. Yeah, so, it would have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm over here in Florida. It's a beautiful. I've met several people. I don't go out a lot still. You know, it's just, I'm I I still can't do that. I I do, but I go to Joanne's uh, stuff like that. I sew a lot. You know, I take care. I help my daughter take care of the babies. I have to, like I said, took my surgery. So right now I'm kind of like, you know, taking it easy and stuff because I have. To, you know, if I want to get better, but uh, life is good. I, I'm, I have a disability, you know, and, and it's kind of rough because it's a limited disability that, I mean, you only get a certain amount of money and you just pay your bills and that's it. And that's why I sew when I can have the time. I have to take a lot of breaks because my brain does not function like that. I have good days and I have bad days. But now they're getting to be more good days than I had bad days. So I, I and I wake up and I thank God every single morning. I thank Him at noontime. I thank Him in the evening, you know, because I'm still alive and I, I'm getting to enjoy life. You got the rest of your life ahead of you. Well, you know, when you were locked up, um, we in, inducted you into our organization as what we call the member the hard way because of what you <laughs> had to go through. And, and, and we believe that that shouldn't happen to anybody. So anybody who we, we found that, that was locked up, we just automatically made you a member of our organization. Now, I believe um, that you were supposed to receive a membership package um, fairly recently. Did you get anything? Did anything come to you? Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I got the package when I got out of the hospital. It was waiting for me, you know, because everything oh, happened at the same time and stuff. So, yes, I got my package. I got my shirt. I got brochures. Nice. I got all kinds of stuff. And I was, I'm thankful, very, very thankful. And uh, I want to let you guys know that I'm here. I don't have money, but I still work with leather. And I can still do. We don't want your money. We, we want your we want your love and your time and your spirit and and your you know your inspiration. My God, your your message is so amazing. I I would love to have you come on kind of regularly, not for a long interview, but just to just to say <laughs> hey and, and and see how you're doing. Um, you know, and, we're like and, a family. Uh, you Go got that right. My daughter says that for Christmas we might be going to visit her in-laws in Northern California. So my plans are to visit them, but also to get to meet you guys. Oh, that would be wonderful. You are welcome to come stay with me anytime you're anywhere in the neighborhood, and we'll we'll even come get you from wherever you're at. Well, thank you so much. But I, I have to meet uh, the members from the uh, Human Solution and thank them personally because without you guys, uh, I would have had a lot of dark days. You know, a little letter helps a lot. It goes a long, long way. And and a lot of some people might say, oh, well, she deserved it to go to prison. Let me tell you something. Let somebody in your family go to prison and you'll see it a totally different way. And and don't get it twisted. Anybody 
can end up in prison. It does not discriminate people. It don't discriminate age, and it sure don't discriminate race. So I want your your people to hear this because a lot of people, oh, I'll never go to prison. Well, guess what? Uh, you better be careful because if you don't, uh, somebody in your family or somebody that you know has a chance and the odds are that they will go to prison and go through the same hell that we all go through. Well, Irma, that is such a a, a, med, a message of wisdom, and uh, it's just a, a blessing to be able to talk to you. So um, I'm, I'm going to let you go now. I've got a, a, a few more guests to go, and the show's running light. Um, but okay. it's just a, a, an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I welcome you to join me anytime. Um, I'll, I'll probably bug you in a couple of weeks to just see how you're doing. So uh, once Thank again, you so Irma Allred, um Absolutely. And, She's uh, a, a life hum- member the, the hard way, the and we just sol- love her. You're the human solution rocks. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> All right, Irma, we'll talk to you soon. Feel okay. free to stay on the line listen to the rest of the show. Once again, folks, Irma Allred from Ohio. All right, we now have 35 minutes left of the show, and we have a lot to do here. We have Adam Asenberg. Um, he's going to come up next. we got Tom Corby. We've got uh, James Kirk, defendant, who's going to talk. So uh, we'll do what we normally do and have Tom uh, wrap the show up. Uh, let's bring up Adam. I met Adam Asenberg, um, geez, years ago. Um, he was fighting a case, and as I was uh, going through Facebook trying to rally support, um, I, I noticed that this guy up in Washington was doing the same thing. And uh, he had a, uh, a, a profile that was, uh, the picture was like an x-ray of a spine. And I remember uh, listening to his posts, and, and we ended up talking at one point. And I heard about his case, and he was fighting it, and I was fighting my case. And ultimately, I met Adam um, up in Spokane um, shortly after I had gotten out of jail um, in 2012. Um we had gotten on that bus, and, and we did our journey for justice. And a bunch of us filled up the can of bus, and we drove from uh, Southern California up to Montana for Chris Williams' sentencing hearing. And uh, we rallied people the whole way up. It was, you know, really I, I, I equated it to the Freedom Riders. We got on that bus, and, and we whipped them up wherever we went. We seated chapters along the way, and, and we grew as an organization. And we learned a lot, and... Um, along the way, I think it was actually the way back, uh, we stopped at, uh, I think the lady was a judge, not sure, but it was a friend of, uh, of Jessica Nunes, and um, she had ar- arranged this meeting for the bus to show up, and we had, I don't know, hell, there was probably 30 people there, and I had met Adam for the first time there, so I'm going to, uh, inter- I've just introduced you, Adam, you're live on the air with us. Um, and why don't you take it from there? Because you and I have um, been working kind of off and on together since that time, and you know, you you ultimately beat your case, but you you took it another level. You 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 decided to uh, take it to them. So why don't you uh, fill us in a little bit about what happened with your case? Well, I thank you, Joe. And before I get started, I just want to say happy anniversary to you and your wife. Oh, thank you. It's, Hey, you know, it's wonderful having a partner that will stand by your side. My dear wife, Carla, has done the same with me 
through my whole situation as well. It, you know, before I get started, I also want to say, if anyone is going to get in the business of cannabis, educate yourselves first on the law before you ever step foot into the realm of cannabis, whether it be recreational or medical. That's what I did before I ever opened up Compassion for Patients, which was the name of my business. And basically, I opened my business up to make a point with the Quad City Drug Task Force of Whitman County because they were busting people left and right out in Spokane, and everyone that I knew that were friends of mine that were doing it legitimately for medical purposes were taking plea deals simply because of the fact they really did not understand the law. In Washington State, where I live at right now, under the RCW laws at the time, it clearly specified that if you were a medical patient helping out another medical patient, you would not be prosecuted. You would not have any hassles from the police basically whatsoever. So I knew about that RCW law before I opened up my business, and I went a step further and researched the state constitutional laws and found out under Article 1, Section 12 of the state constitution, it stipulates you cannot give someone a special privilege or immunity of law that you do not give to all citizens equally. And Article 1, Section 29 stipulates the Constitution's mandatory. Well, at the time of my raid, they were operating all kinds of dispensaries in Seattle with the blessings of the mayor and the city police and not busting anyone. So they could not give Seattle or King County a special privilege or immunity of law without giving that right to all patients and dispensaries within the state of Washington. I knew this going into my business, so when I was raided in 2011, I went ahead and took it all the way to where I was ready for a jury trial, and I was going to go ahead and forcibly, under court order, bring in the mayor and the chief of police to testify that they were not raiding anyone in King County. And basically, the, the um, DA decided to drop all charges against me. So at that point in time, I talked to the judge and got the judge to issue a court order to the sheriff demanding the return of all my cannabis that they took from me during my raid. Of course, they couldn't retransplant my garden and give me back my seedlings that they destroyed, but at least I went ahead and had the justice uh, forcing them to return all my cannabis, which was really a slap in the face to Brett Myers, the uh, sheriff at the time. And you're right, I did take it a step further because not only did I do that, but next election cycle, I decided to run against Brett Myers for sheriff of Whitman County and ended up getting a little over 2,000 votes, which really was <laughs> a shock to the sheriff's department. Well, you know, it's interesting, and, Adam. You are one of two people that I know of that went through a case, you and Paula Huff. Paula Huff ran for sheriff in Tucson, Arizona. She served a term. She got convicted. But when she got out, 
she did the same thing. She ran for sheriff, and hell, I think she's going to run for mayor this year, uh, or or in the next election. So, um, you know, the fact that she took that uh, that offensive posture, you know, you you have been wrought with health problems. Um, once again, I, I I watch people all the time, and they're like, oh, I can't help because of this. I can't help because of that. They got reasons why they can't do this and why they can't do that. However, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you are completely disabled. It doesn't matter if you are uh, fully abled and an athlete. None of that matters. What matters is your spirit, your will, and hopefully you've got somebody standing by you. You're blessed to have Carla and 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 I know that makes a big difference. But when you have your good days and your bad days, your spirit never goes anywhere. And and I just you know want to keep reinforcing that message with Irma, with Vincette. You know we had a an unintended common thread here of people that have had you know physical hardships and still took it to them, just kept going. Irma didn't stop. She was filing a motion after another working constantly, just constantly driving forward. Been said, same thing. She's always at it. You know, anytime that there's an injustice, she's the first one in line to help. It's first responders and, and, and you've got the same spirit. Um so you ended up actually taking this even a step further though. You filed a, a federal lawsuit and I, I guess uh why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. Um well what happened also was the fact that in the raid, like I said, they destroyed my garden. They went as far as holding a gun up to my son's face, who was a juvenile at the time, giving him a kill shot if he made the wrong move. Um, they they did a lot of damage, and so I went ahead and had my lawyer file a $3 million lawsuit against the Quad City Drug Task Force, and the initial hearing on it, the federal judge just slapped it down, hands down, without basically giving it any kind of a real hearing whatsoever. And Doug Phelps, who's my attorney on the case out of Spokane, has been a wonder on this. He worked on my criminal case, and I basically educated him on how to win my case, and he followed me step-by-step on what to do. So it's nice when you have an attorney listening to the client for a change. It's rare. But it also helps having that client be educated as well. Absolutely. But um, anyway, so, so hey, um, Doug went ahead and... Re- and no, you, you, you told me a couple of weeks ago that you had a recent development. You know, people file a lot of lawsuits, but like you said, typically what happens is um, the judge doesn't want to hear it. You know, they, they'll, they'll say there's no merit to the case. They won't allow it to go, and then you have to go through a, a, an appeal process of it, or, or uh, uh, file something else or different. So, but you, you exactly. told me that we, we we made some progress here. Tell tell us about it. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to do. Is that um, most of the times when a, a person like me files a motion in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals or whatever appeals case a person happens to be in at the time. Um, the appeals court basically just denies the hearing, and that's the end of your case whatsoever. And that's what I thought was going to happen in my case, since it's been sitting around the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals since 2012. 
Well, I recently got news that the Court of Appeals is so interested in my case that they want to have oral arguments on it, and that's going to take place the first part of January when the new calendar comes out. Wow. You know, I I would love if I could get you to put that on our calendar when when you get the date. And, hell, if I'm able to, if there's any way I could come up for that, I would love to sit there and listen to those oral arguments. Well, that would I mean, be great is, if you could. No. Go. This is, you know, you the these kind of actions are the kind of actions that pave the way for other things to happen. And, and you know, policy, people talk about well, we've got to change the laws. And, yeah, of course, we do have to change the laws. I'm not saying that's not a good idea. But, frankly, when we take these actions, when you take your case to trial, it, it, it creates an unwritten policy that prosecutors don't want to take cases to trial. They don't want to fight um, a, a fight they might lose. And, and when uh, you go up against, um, you know, the government and uh, they lose money, they don't like to lose money. And a lot of times the policies get changed because of cases just like this. Uh, and for it to get to a point where the appellate court's going to hear it, hell, I sat in my oral arguments and it was an amazing uh, process, and ultimately they ruled in my favor and overturned that jury verdict. So, you know, I'm a free man today partly because of, of you know, what happened in that appellate court. So I'm, I'm super excited. Now I want to get to one more point. I know we don't have nearly as much time as I want to, and I would like to actually invite you to come on as a regular. Um, you're actually a chapter coordinator of our Spokane chapter up there. And I remember, um, I don't know, what was it, about three years ago, I came up there. We did a, a jury rights day up in um, up in Spokane because we were preparing for the Kettle Falls trial. And we were um, we were up there with with some people that were formerly members, and we were, you know, out there teaching people about uh, uh, their rights as jurors. And um, <clears throat> one of the things we did while we were up there, uh, we met with you and, and Jerry Laberty and, and a couple of other folks. Um, we launched a chapter, and one of the things that, you know, I think is important for people to realize is the human solution isn't a big institution. We're not, you know, some group that has 10,000 uh, people that are just at the ready anytime somebody needs something. Um, we're a, a handful of, of, of Minutemen. We're, we're like the... Uh, revolutionary soldiers that there's a, a, a person here and a person there that is committed to, to making this happen and and when there's a need when when the the need arises we, we mobilize and we, we rally together and we, we take what we've learned and we bring it to where we need to bring it to and I've seen this group this organization grow you know ten a hundred fold at a time and then it shrinks back because it's not necessarily needed um, in a particular way, and and so I've always valued you as a chapter coordinator because I know that even though it's hard to find people these days that are willing to stand up and fight their cases, <coughs> I know that when we do, I can count on you to help me to rally support up in your area. Um, so well, you I know you can, Joe. And there's something I'd like to bring up before we run out of time too is um what you were talking about earlier about not giving up is um, a lot of people don't know this about me because you have so many wonderful new listeners. But I want to say, you know, I come a med- I come from a, a background of being a medical cannabis patient from breaking my back in nine places 
from getting hit in the back of a baseball bat, being thrown off a bridge 15 feet backwards on the boulders and being left for dead. I crawled a little over a mile to get to a nearest guard shack telephone on my hands and elbows, not having any feeling in my legs, waking up in a hospital to find out that I would probably never walk again. But I never gave up, Joe. I kept fighting on a walker with a back brace. It took me six months before I had any feeling in my leg, seven years before I could get off a walker, but I put that walker away one day. And I also want to say about not giving up is after my mom passed away, I did lose faith and give up at one time. Everyone does that, but don't give up because I tried the ultimate. I stuck a steak knife into my heart four times to end my life, hitting my heart four out of four times, 80% chance of being brain dead if I ever woke up. It was a 20% chance of being woken up at all. I came through all of that met this fabulous lady with two young children off the internet. Her name was Carla, and we ended up falling in love and getting married and helped raise those children to where they're wonderful young adults now. But, you know, had had I given up and had I died, I would have never met Carla and those kids. I would never have stood up to the cops like I did in my medical cannabis raid. You know, I would never have helped the people I have giving them free cannabis when they were deciding, do I eat today or do I take my medicine today? People like that, I saw that they got their medicine without ever having to pay a dime. And if anyone ever is in a predicament to where they feel like they need to give up and need to reach out to anyone, my phone number is area code 509 288-4799, and anyone is always welcome to reach out and talk to me. Well, Adam, I I didn't even realize that layer of your story. I knew about your broken back, but I I didn't know about about the the dark place. Um, And I I know, you know, I've met Carla a couple of times, and I know she's a very special woman, and you're a, a very lucky man to have her. Um, and she's a lucky woman to have you. So today is like one of these days where I guess I'm a little gushy because, you know, it's a, it's, it's a special day. So anyways, I, I very much want to have you on the show as a regular. I'm very, uh, you know, you're just an inspiration. When, when anytime somebody is willing to push through and keep going, um, it's what we're all about. I never gave up. I certainly didn't have the physical uh, anguish that you went through. Um, but it, it wasn't necessary <laughs> uh, for me to 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 get that. I, I you know we all get our lessons in life, and I don't know how it all works. I am just grateful to have met you, and I'm grateful to have you be a part of the human solution. And I know that um, uh, for various reasons, you and I will be working closer and closer together. So I'm proud to call you my brother. I'm proud to call you a, a member of the organization and a chapter leader. So. Um, Hey, well, Joe, I'm also, Joe, this is non-compliant, Mary. I know. I'm just jumping right in here. I just have to say that Adam it. is what this <laughs> so human solution is all about. Thank you, Adam. And every person who's listening to this broadcast, this is the kind of thing you can do in your own way, your own flavor. This is Baskin's, like, instead of Baskin's 21, this is like, like life 7 billion or whatever it is now. Adam, I just want to thank you for being the human solution. Okay, I'm back to the backside now. You're very welcome. Oh, go Mary. Absolutely. We love Mary. 
Thank you so much. And, Adam, she's 100% right. So I am uh, cracking away at time, and I've got um, a few callers that do want to talk. So um, I am going to definitely um, be bugging you and, and literally have you as a regular on the show. You have so much to add, and you know what? You have an active case going on that, that is a game changer. So, um, you know, I th again, I thank you for being a part of this, and we're going to move forward. Any last uh, comment you want to throw? Just that you have become more of a family member to me and Carla than just a friend. You keep rocking on, my friend, and take care. Talk to you soon. You bet. I sure will. Once again, Adam Asenberg from Spokane, Washington, um, a, a, a true inspiration and hero. This has been an amazing show. All right, we got Mike Harris on the line, and we got James Kirks coming up next, then Mike, and then we'll have Tom Corby wrap it up. I've got a few things I didn't get to because of the amazing folks, and if we need to go a couple of minutes long, we will. Um, but first of all, uh, this show is brought to you by the Coffee Party and the Coffee Party Radio Network, and uh, we're just so grateful that they've given us a place to be. Um, this show is really starting to evolve. Uh, the show's being live-streamed on Facebook, and uh, I'm watching the audience grow as a result. And so I want to thank Lisa Wildridge. And this here's my lovely yeah. wife. And mwah. Happy anniversary. <laughs> 20, 21st, right? She, or 21st, yeah. 21st. She's very much responsible for the human solution as much as I am and anybody else and everybody else. Uh, she's always been... One of our Thank biggest you guys supporters. Thank taking time to listen. We appreciate <laughs> that. Yay. Excellent. Thank you. My honey, Liz Grumbine. When do we want? Just it. When do we want it? Now. Woo! All right. Sing along, everybody. All right. So up next, so we got the Coffee Party, Coffee Party Radio Network, and we're grateful for that. Anybody today or in the future wants to call in this show, all you got to do is call 646-929-2495. Um, let's get to the contest here. On the Human Solution um, member group, not member group page, but the big group page. There's like, I don't know, 4,000 members on the thing. Uh, we're doing a running contest. It's going to keep going. It's starting to catch. Now, unfortunately for the people who posted it, the first people, the only first people that posted uh, anything were board members. And as much as I love my board and I love my board members, I can't let you win a contest. Um, unless you're the only one that submitted. But this week, we had three submissions, and one of them was uh, Justin Turley from San Diego, and he posted a picture, and you can see it on the Human Solution group page. Uh, he posted a picture of the ribbon, which is the object of this contest, picture of the ribbon anywhere with anybody. Um, be creative. Tell me why it should win. Um, but anyways, he's been in and out of the hospital, and he took a picture of our brochure in a, among a stack of brochures, and so I thought that was a great um, contestant. And then Jessica Lux, um, Jessica Lux has been part of the organization since, I think, 2010. She was part of my, uh, my trial support, uh, worked closely with her through I don't know how many, um, how many cases, uh, been an avid supporter, a photographer, a reporter. Uh, she's just been a big part of the human solution, especially in the early days. Uh, she, sub she submitted a photo that was um, 
an old picture from 2011, back in during my trial, and I thought that was a great entry. And then finally, Michelle Button. Um, hopefully she'll come on the radio here in the next couple of weeks, but she just beat a case. But in the process of beating the case, she got she lost her job. Now she's fighting for her job. But in the process of it all, she got community service. She took a picture of herself doing community service at the Habitat for Humanity, and she's wearing a ribbon. So I did put it out for a vote, and the prize is going to be, and I've got it somewhere. Oh, here we go. We have a Solidarity Ribbon Earth Magnet, and this can stick onto a vehicle, a refrigerator, anything that's steel, and it's got a really strong magnet. Second, we have a Solidarity Ribbon, um, what do you call it, a survival bracelet. Supposedly, if you're in a bind, you can unwind this sucker, and it will uh, get you out of a jam, maybe pull you out of the quicksand pit. And then we're also going to uh, give her a Willow Creek Springs anti-aging cream, which is a new product that uh, my little company comes out, and we've sponsored the Human Solution Forever. And so we're going to send the winner that. And this week's winner is Michelle Button. And the reason that she was selected is she got more votes than anybody else. And um, that's just how this contest works. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to roll the last week's contestants into next week. And hopefully we'll get more people voting, more people participating, and who knows, maybe we'll start to have multiple uh, winners for different categories. So congratulations, Michelle Button. You win the prize, and we'll get it off to you probably by tomorrow. All right. So up next we got James Kirk then Mike Harris, and then Tom Corby, and we got 10 minutes to do it in. So here we go. James Kirk, you're loading, and welcome to the show. How's it going today? Doing good. I uh, got good news in court. I love After good news. After a six-year battle, the um, judge gave me time served, three days. My doctors had all wrote letters for me. I actually had a lieutenant of 26 years write a letter that I, you know, I work on cars with her husband and they bought one of my puppies from me. And she wrote a letter stating I help her with her dad, which in the past I helped her with her dad by bringing her butter because he's got Alzheimer's, but she didn't put that in the letter. She just says I helped her with her dad. <laughs> there you go. That's probably why. But uh, judge basically wanted to, yeah hear that I wasn't going to get involved in all this legalization in 2018 because he knew I was a skilled grower. Right. And, I, and the fact that all my doctors wrote letters stating that they're the ones that actually gave the surgeries to me after I came out of federal prison the first time around. They all wrote letters uh, saying that my health would deteriorate in there, that I need all this health care that will not be provided. You've already proven that you ain't going to provide it. So that, that, that weighed a lot on the judge's mind, too. But, yeah, I listened to this lady's story, and she did 21 years for what I just got in trouble for. I mean, wow, it's crazy. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Th- I mean, it brought a tear to my eye because I knew that was about, like, for six years, I thought that was going to happen to me. Exactly. Well, that's what this is all about, you know. 
the legalization and all this and that, that's all important. But you know what? We're trying to end this once and for all, completely mm-hmm. end prohibition. And, you know, we just got to create a world yeah. where, where you just can't get locked up for this plant anymore. It's just yeah. unacceptable. Oh, the other thing well, was... Well, that's fantastic news, James. I, I, we've been, you've been uh, calling in the show now for, what, about over a year now, hasn't it been? Yeah, yeah off and on. It's been a minute. So, yeah, and the uh, other thing fantastic. that came out was the judge did admit that the cops were crooked, but he yeah. went on to say that even though I told them they were crooked when they came and robbed my marijuana plants, that that is not why they went to prison. It was for robbing meth off the streets and putting it back on there and using it because they were high on meth when they raided me, I could tell. But the judge, wow. uh, he put some validity to the corruption that was involved. So, I mean, a lot of factors weighed into me not going back to prison, but it was scary for six years. They put me on probation for three years. He said I can get off after a year. I'm allowed to stay THC positive. And Woo-hoo! probation's going probation's gonna allow me to grow my my own prescription twelve plant. <laughs> Only in America. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well that is fantastic yeah. news and uh a great way to to bring the show uh uh close to the end. I, I appreciate uh, your checking in and hell I we'll we'll be checking in as things are going along. I I, I like to hear the progress until everybody's off their paper, so um, yeah. I, I, I welcome you to keep keep following along with us, and uh, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. You know, it meant a lot to have you guys on my side fighting this fight, too. It, you know, it's let you know you're not the only one going through it. That's like exactly that lady the said, point. You don't know, you don't know until it happens to your family, your friends. Then you know, and then when you actually been inside the beast and you have seen how it works, it's <laughs> like, oh my god. It changes you forever. Well, hopefully, James, mm-hmm. I can uh, keep you at the ready, and when, when somebody else goes down, at least we can count on you to, to be out there to support. It's hopefully, I mean, just, uh, just today you had two people that the, the feds thoroughly messed up their health while in their care because they don't care about you when yep. you're in there. You're, you're just money. Exactly. And if you don't go to Unicorn, the job. you're going to go to the hole. Going to work. If you don't work. If you don't work for them, you go to the hole. You don't have a choice. And then it's thirty. True. What do they pay? They were paying me thirty-three cents an hour, but then it cost. No, they paid me thirty cents an hour, and I had to pay thirty-three cents a minute to call my son at the end of the day. <laughs> Pretty Doesn't sad. Doesn't work huh? out too well. All right, James, we're running out of time. All I'm right. uh, gonna gonna get going, but thank you so much for being here, and congratulations. All right, thank you. Take care. All right, up next. We have uh, Mike Harris. Mike Harris is a Human Solution board member, uh, longtime court supporter, and um, part of our media team. But he's also um, got a proactive action going on. So hopefully we've got some update on that. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing? It's been a minute. Hey, Joe. Hey, uh, first off, uh, thanks for having me on, and um, congratulations on your 21st wedding anniversary with uh, you and Liz. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so what, what, yeah, well, what's happening out there? As, as your, some of your listeners might know, I have a, a case uh, against the city I live in in um, California. California passed the Proposition 64. One of the things is that they allow uh, personal home cultivation and that a city cannot ban um, 
indoor uh, uh, cultivation. That's the only thing that they actually give you that a, uh, the, the state and the city cannot ban. But uh, cities are allowed to regulate, and of course, the, most cities have made uh, really onerous regulations. And so, in response to that, I have I'm represented by the Drug Policy Alliance, the American Civil Liberties Union, and a, a pro bono law team of O'Malvaney and Myers. And we're in the discovery phase now, and we're going to find out if a city of over 200,000 people and 40,000 dwellings has actually issued any uh, reg, um, permits. And my guess is uh, nobody has stepped up, which reinforces the argument of uh, this regulation is actually a de facto ban. Well, that is... Uh you're, you're absolutely right, and it takes some thought, and it takes some um, some background knowledge of how cities do things to be able to do that. When you brought this to my attention, I don't know, a while ago, six months almost, I think, um, I, I just thought it was a brilliant way to move forward. And, you know, every time that we get proactive, it's, it, it's not only, um, you know, making progress on the front that we're on, but it it carves a path for others to do the same thing. And this potentially could uh, set a precedent, set a template for uh, people in other cities and counties that have similar policies to just come and just unleash. Now, what is the city attorney? Are you up against Best Best and Krieger? Oh, yeah, and they're the um, one of the larger law firms in the state. They represent, um, a, yeah, a majority of the uh, the cities and county municipalities, but the thing is, my law firm is two thirds the time the size of them. Meaning that uh, biggest uh, best bet and Krieger is O and M is the world's largest law firm, and they are more than I eager along with the ACLU. They're chomping at the bit. I got nine lawyers. Going on. <laughs> it's not David and Goliath. It's Goliath and Goliath, or maybe it's um, Godzilla and Mothra, or one of the other gigantic beasts. Yep. Well, yep. It's, that's uh, fantastic. Um, I'm really excited. I don't know if you'll be able to tell us about Discovery when you find out, but uh, I've, I've been eagerly awaiting the, the news that's coming out of this camp. So I appreciate you checking in and uh, giving us the update. All right. And um, just a shout-out to all your listeners for all of the uh, – other advocate groups out there, and um, thoughts and prayers out to our friend Diana Goldstein, who broke her leg uh, Monday while she was being um, doing oh. advocacy work in San Diego. I it's didn't know that. I, I will reach out to her. Thank you for letting us know. All righty. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. Here we go. We got Tom Corby to bring up the the rest of the show. Um, we're going to probably run a minute or two overtime. But you're on, Tom, live from NorCal. Welcome to the show. Tom Corby, where are you? Hello, Tom. All right, I'm going to reach out to Donna. Maybe Donna can hear. Donna Corby, are you there? Yeah. Is Tom with you? No. Oh, hold on, I got another line. Hold on, hold on, oh, hold on. I got another one. Tom, are you there? Supposed to bring me back in. All right, I got you, Tom. Can you hear me? Yes, you're live on now. 
Yeah, yeah. You were on two lines. I don't know how it happened, but you're there. You're good now. Welcome to the show. Uh, all right. All right. Thank you, Joe. I'm on now, right? You are. You are live and loud and clear. All right. Thanks, Joe and Mary and Becca and Coffee Party Radio Show. And I want to say always all those on the front line in Prohibition, what's that say? Well, we got our Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, coming, taking our doctors and our medical rights away on 215-420. Are we reverting back to 1996 and the Illegal Controlled Substance Act? Can you get him to stop barking, please? Uh, this is really sad news. Uh, more folks are going to go to prison. Although, on the other hand, the House did pass when it gets session on asset forfeiture, which is good on the other side. So, uh, don't forget to breathe. <laughs> All right, Tom. Can't. Well, I appreciate, as always, the update. Um, we've got only a couple of things on the calendar real quick. Um, we got Ray Sharp tomorrow, oh, no, Friday, uh, up your Fr- way. Is that correct? Friday, yes. Listen, so I want to expound just a little bit on Ray Sharp's case. Uh, first okay. of all, it was only code enforcement. Think about it. And they went over it through the neighbor's yard and had to had to climb up on a, a, a chair or ladder to look over the fence to take pictures of his garden. And we got the neighbor coming, filing injunctions and lawsuits. Think about this, Joe. No law enforcement there at all. How could there be any charges? So Ray Sharp. And, He's got a, a, a heck of a head start on this one. Right. Well, I've given him three to one odds. This is all going away. Uh, how can there be any? So we got the injunction lawsuits going, and uh, they were charged nine charges. Now they're just charged with what? Butte County's going outside that box. That's only a Butte County with Measure A folks that are growing outside the box. So we're going for them, and that's in Chico, Joe, because this is this is civil. And we're going to 10.40 a.m. this Friday. That's in Chico, 1775 uh, Conquer Street in Chico. Come, come for Ray and Jackie, and they've also come for us. Uh, I think Dr. Allen will be there that day, and... Uh, Okay, Joe, I, I want to cut to the chase tonight. I want to thank everybody. Happy 21st anniversary. Come on up, you and Liz. You owe us a visit. Okay. I do, absolutely. Thank you, thank you right, so much, you. Tom. I want to thank All everybody right. that uh, made this show possible today. I want to thank Noncompliant Mary for screening the calls. I want to thank uh, Irma Allred for joining us. I want to thank Adam Asenberg, Vincent Wilson, and, of course, my lovely wife and everybody else uh, that joined the show and helped make it happen. Next week, we're going to be talking to the Canadians, our amazing, friendly Manitoba chapter, and likely a whole bunch of other good folks. So I just want to thank everybody for joining the show, and we will I am Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said, Don. You were always...